Alright, alright, alright! Set it to be on! It is the Chief Zone Podcast. My name is Farzi Vasugi. I'm the host of the Chief Zone Podcast. And we've got a lot to get into. Very little time to waste. On dock for this episode of the Chief Zone Podcast, the NFL schedule is released. Kansas City with five primetime games. That's tied for most for 2018. I also have my Chiefs mock draft, full Chiefs mock draft coming up later on. And of course, talk a little bit about who they're going to get, what can we expect from them. Just some guesses again, and not expecting these to be all 100% right, but just to give you an idea of who I think the Chiefs will get and what positions they'll go after later on in the draft. Also, the Chiefs had Andy Reid and several players who spoke at the uh, in Monday's media availability. Uh, a lot of press conferences uh, that took place. Uh, short press conferences, but a lot of players available, which made it interesting the way they, they did that. But nonetheless, a lot of players spoke, so we'll play some of that audio on this podcast and react to that. Uh, hear from Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Sammy Watkins, D. Ford, um... Uh, a couple, a couple of those guys who I mentioned uh, had some interesting things to say, but a lot to to get into from uh, Monday's media availability that the Chiefs had. So we'll talk about that as well. Also, I talked about the Chiefs Mount Rushmore. You guys had a lot of great responses to that on Facebook and Twitter. I'll read some of the Facebook comments. Uh, I'll be honest. I'll, I was going to look through some of the Twitter comments, but we've already got so much on the podcast. So I'm only going to read some of the Facebook comments. That we got. I, I will say, and I'll give you guys my um, Chiefs Mount Rushmore, my four guys. And I will say, I'm a little surprised nobody has my exact four. A couple people were very close, but nobody had the exact four. Plus, a lot more we'll get into. Of course, we'll do our closing segments, and that'll include more about Colin Kaepernick. Of course, was close to signing with the Seahawks, then he didn't. And let me just. Set the record straight on Colin Kaepernick later because there's a another. I mean, there are very many reasons why he's not being signed, but I think there's one big reason out there that nobody's discussing as to why he has continued to remain a free agent, and I think that plays a key role for certain things. And there's another player uh, in recent memory who might not have gotten signed for the same reason. I'll tell you who my comparison is, and what that reason is, because I think that'll give people per- some perspective. This has nothing to do with the, the kneeling issue. Maybe a couple teams take issue with that, but the the politics behind that, I don't think, think this has anything to do with that necessarily, but there's something else that comes with it, and I think teams are avoiding Kaepernick because of that. I'll talk about that in detail later on in the podcast. If you guys want to interact with me, talk to me, this podcast all about interactivity, and of course, I mentioned I'd read some of your comments later on. You guys can always be part of the podcast. A couple of easy ways to do so. You guys can like and follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Vesugian. That is my Facebook page. You guys can talk to me on there. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21, and send me an email, farzine at farzinevesugian.com. If you like the podcast, if you like what you hear, appreciate you guys always listening in. Would definitely appreciate it even more if you guys subscribe on iTunes and spread the word on social media to your friends, text the show to your friends, all those options that you have right there with that little uh, that square box with the arrow. Yeah, you guys can share that with your friends. Let them know about it. 
and that helps the podcast out greatly. I do have one question because I, I've had a couple of people ask me about this, and I thought this was available on there, and it wasn't. But if anyone, yeah, I mean, I, and I don't know if I can even be talking to that audience right now, possibly. Uh, for the longest time, I thought this podcast was available on Google Play. At least that's what one listener told me. And then I had several others ask, where can I find it on Google Play? Which gives me the idea that it's not on there. Uh, and I, I have to be honest, I, I mean, I looked into it a little bit. I have no familiarity with Google Play. If any of you guys do, or if any of, it, any of you guys are listening from Google Play, please let me know about it. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to try to look, to look into that this weekend. That way, we can make the podcast available uh, you know, as, as many places as possible. Of course, we'd love that for sure, uh, and have more of the interactivity and more people listening into the podcast. So if you're familiar with that more than I am, please let me know, and let me know if the podcast is available on there. But if it's not, we'll try our best to make that happen as soon as possible. But again, like I said, very little time to waste, so let's get right into it. Uh, First things first, the NFL schedule is out. Uh, One of the more anticipated moments in the offseason for NFL fans and I've got to say, if you're a Chiefs fan, you probably look forward to this a lot more. I know in the past, Chiefs fans complained about the lack of primetime games in years past. The NFL did make a rule at one point that because of the Thursday night games, uh, every team should be on primetime at least once. And the Chiefs were, well, of course, they got on primetime because every team has to now, but still not a whole lot. And now the Chiefs are on primetime Really more than any other team, it feels like. Last year, we all know the Chiefs got six primetime games more than any team in 2017. And in 2018, the Chiefs have five primetime games scheduled. That's tied with nine others for most. Now, that's a lot of teams, but still, to be given five games to start off the season, that's pretty good. And I'll give you guys some of my reactions as I read you guys the schedule quickly and just give you guys some of my big games and really just some of my thoughts on the schedule. Yeah, People might look at it and say, well, we knew the opponents. We just didn't know the dates and times. Yeah, sure, but I think considering what uh, when you play some of these teams and on what not day and if you're given night games, I think it says a lot. And I think this schedule, the NFL made a statement about the Chiefs. And I think Chiefs fans should definitely take pride in this. I know the past couple of postseasons have not gone our way. But this, looking at this schedule, it tells me that the league still thinks highly of the Chiefs. And they think that they can really do something special this season. Even with a new quarterback under center. Yes, sure, the the, the, the expectation is very high for Mahomes. But still, it's, it's, it's a nerve-wracking feeling going into a year with um, with a new quarterback. Not everything's going to be perfect simply because he was drafted so high. He'll make his mistakes, and there will be some growing pains down the road. But at the end of the day, uh, a lot of people are are putting the Chiefs uh, unnoticed. I mean, really, everyone has high expectations with this football team. And, and that includes the NFL front office. I'll tell you why I think they think... They think that way later on in the podcast. But let's go down the line real quickly. First game of the season, September 9th at the LA Chargers. September the 16th, week two, the Chiefs play the the Steelers for a noon game. And then their first home game will come in week three. And that has not happened since 2007 to play their first two games on the road and then play their home opener in week three. That is the case with the 2018 schedule. September the 23rd, 
Week 3, the Chiefs and the 49ers have a noon game. Then the primetime games start to come into play. Week 4, on October the 1st, Chiefs and Broncos on Monday Night Football. That'll be the first of five games in the month of October. The Chiefs play the Jaguars at home. Then they visit the New England Patriots on Sunday Night Football in the middle of October. And that, of course, is going to be an interesting one. A lot of people looking forward to this because... And even though blowouts... And I'm not saying this will be a blowout simply because it's it's scheduled this way. But uh, the, the Patriots, they rarely get blown out in games. And we don't see that often. If there's a Browns and Giants game, and with all due respect to those two teams, but if those two games are playing on primetime and if it's a blowout... People are turning off the TV right before the fourth quarter starts and they're going to bed. Getting ready for Tuesday morning or, or, or whichever morning. But if it's the Patriots getting blown out, people are going to tune in until the final whistle of that football game. And the Chiefs have had some interesting meetings the past two times in the regular season with the, uh, with the Patriots. Now people don't realize this. This is actually the fourth straight regular season meeting. That's on primetime. People forget about the 2011 meeting on Monday Night Football that ended in a blowout. The Chiefs started with a 3-0 lead uh, ending the first quarter. Then the Patriots scored, I think, 31 unanswered. Uh, People forget about that game, but they remember the other way around when the Chiefs blew out the Patriots. So, uh, for all those years, people say the Chiefs are the forgotten team or they don't get talked about or remembered much. Well, we got to revert back on that because the Chiefs do get remembered more so for beating the Patriots rather than the other way. And look, rightfully so, the Patriots are expected to win a lot of football games. It's unexpected for them to lose, let alone get blown out. And it's happened twice in recent memory by the same football team. And of course, that's your Kansas City Chiefs. So that's a big reason why the NFL put this game on primetime, and rightfully so. So that'll be on Sunday Night Football in Week 6. In Week 7, the Chiefs play the Bengals at home and also at home against the Broncos, the first set of uh, home games back to back. Then in week nine, the Chiefs visit the Cleveland Browns. Week 10, Arizona Cardinals at home. Week 11, the LA Rams in Mexico on Monday Night Football. I've talked about this matchup quite a lot and how I think, if healthy, and considering the games in uh, on November the 19th, uh, it's, it's kind of concerning. Uh, we could see some injuries here, but hey, sometimes teams get lucky. This could be a very good matchup. Uh, both the Chiefs versus the Ram- Chiefs offense versus the Rams defense, and also the other way around, the Rams offense versus the, the Chiefs defense. Don't forget the Rams were the highest scoring offense in the NFL last season, scoring 29.9 points per game. And if the Chiefs defense, if they can come alive with Justin Houston returning to his Pro Bowl form, if D. Ford can find that consistency and be good, uh, similar to what he did in the first half of 2016, do it in a full season. That could definitely be a difference maker. And, of course, Eric Berry's returning. You added Kendall Fuller, Anthony Hitchens, Reggie Ragland could be your two new inside linebackers, uh, which that I'll get into as well later on in this podcast. So that's going to be a very fun matchup. And, of course, that's going to be in Mexico, and that'll be on Monday Night Football. That was actually confirmed a couple of days before the schedule release. Week 12, that is the bye week for the Kansas City Chiefs. And that is actually on Thanksgiving week, so... If you don't really follow a lot of football outside of Kansas City, well, hey, look, you could use that Thanksgiving week to really just take a break from football. And uh, I've got to say, from a podcasting standpoint, 
And with the holiday being around that week, I think that definitely fits my schedule best. So uh, I, I think a lot of people in the media will appreciate the the Chiefs having a bye week on Thanksgiving. So that, that'll definitely be uh, a good one. But then the Chiefs get back at it on December the 2nd for the first of five games in the month of December. They play at Oakland for a 305 game. Then uh, uh, in week 14, back-to-back home games. First they play Baltimore for a regular noon Sunday game. And then in week 15, just a couple of days to get ready for this, the Chiefs and the Chargers play on Thursday Night Football. That's the only home primetime game for the Chiefs. And then uh, another primetime game, back-to-back primetime games, the Chiefs will visit the Seahawks for a Sunday night game. And then to wrap up the season, again, we don't know if this, uh, what the uh, Sunday night football game is, if they have one, assuming. last This past year, they didn't. Uh, but I think that had to do with the fact that it was New Year's Eve. I think that could be a different story this year. But the Chiefs and the Raiders will play in the final week of the season. For now, that is slated to be a noon game, but that could be flexed to a 3.05 game or uh, a uh, Sunday Night Football game. You never know. Uh, And I talked a little bit about that in my article at arrowheadaddict.com, so check that out. Uh, Okay, so just a wide picture. Obviously, the beginning, very rough start. Four of the first six games on the road. Not the most ideal way to start off a season. And by the way, speaking of on the road... The Chiefs, and I, I guess, you know, I should have realized this before because the opponents were out, but the Chiefs do have a brutal road schedule. Outside of the uh, divisional games, you've got you've got the Steelers, and the Chiefs haven't had a lot of good luck against them unless Roethlisberger's out. The Chiefs have the Patriots. Chiefs have the Cleveland Browns. Probably not the most threatening team out there, but hey, we'll see. Uh, not necessarily a road game. It's a, it's going to be more of a neutral site game. But for what it's worth, they've got the LA Rams outside of Arrowhead, and then you've got the Seattle Seahawks. Now, the Seattle Seahawks are going to be an interesting team in 2018. I think they're going to be a very different team in 2018 compared to what we've seen in past years. Of course, they had that Super Bowl run in uh, what was it, 2013. Calendar year, technically, it happened in 2014, and then they went to the Super Bowl again the following year against the Patriots, so uh, that that group of players, uh, a couple of those have left, and of course, most notably, Richard Sherman, so we'll see what kind of a secondary we have with, uh, with Seattle, and, and really just how that team will look in 2018. Going to be a very different football team. Uh, doesn't mean that they won't be successful. They could still be successful, but in a in a different way. The way that they'll attain their wins might be different than the way they they've done it in years past. Now, here's the other thing. I talked about how the league views the Chiefs, and I think that the NFL thinks highly of the Chiefs. And here's why I think that. Obviously, in December, you want to have the best primetime matchups possible. That's why they have the flex option that they started doing a few years ago for Sunday night football. Now, you also want to make sure your Thursday night and your Monday night games are also in some possible Saturday night games. You'd like to think that those are also going to pan out well and that fans will tune into those games because, let's face it, in December, if you're going to watch a primetime football game in the NFL, you want to make sure that those are games that have a lot of significance in terms of 
playoff spots on the line. And the NFL decided to put the Chiefs on primetime twice in December. Of course, I mentioned a Thursday night football game in week 15. That's going to be at Arrowhead Stadium. And then you have the Sunday night football game in Seattle in week 16. Now, that game could get flexed out depending on whether or not one of those two teams are bad. Hopefully, that's the Seahawks and not the Chiefs. Uh, but I think both teams are going to be be doing well, and that will remain on Sunday Night Football. But for the NFL to give the the NFL basically said, we think the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be good, they're going to be competitive, and we are going to put them on primetime, not just twice in the month of December, we'll do it on back-to-back weeks, with the possibility that it could be three weeks in a row if the Chiefs and Raiders game, depending how the Raiders do, depending if both teams are doing well and they're competing for first place in the AFC West, that game could get flexed to Sunday Night Football. So there is a possibility that the Chiefs will play on primetime football for three weeks in a row. So that's definitely something that you have to take into consideration and something to, to kind of take pride in if you're a Chiefs fan. Now, another thing that a lot of people are pointing out, and a lot of people are actually upset about this, and understandably so, out of the five primetime games, the Chiefs only have one at Arrowhead, and that's going to be a cold game in Week 15. But hey, look, Chiefs fans are known to be some of the best, so I think the league didn't really care about that part so much, and they knew that Chiefs fans are going to come out, especially if they think that the Chiefs are going to be competitive late in the season. Now, look. I've mentioned this on the podcast recently. I hate the cold. I really do. I, I, I'm flabbergasted that you, you know the Royals are. They played a. The Royals played a game in the snow on Saturday night, but they called off a game on Sunday due to cold temperatures. Which, by the way, Sporting KC still played on Sunday. Kind of surprising, but anyway, I digress. I hate the cold, and I think there are some people out there. As much as they love Chiefs football, as much as they love that tailgate. Tradition that the Chiefs have, and, and and being at Arrowhead, and you know supporting the team, being loud in those games. I think there are also some people out there that would rather enjoy the game from the comfort of their own home, sitting on the couch, not waiting in line, you know, in frigid temperatures. Uh, you never know sometimes in Kansas City uh, in in the winter, or really any time during the year. I mean, look, we're not even in, in in the winter right now, and we're getting winter temperatures. But anyway. A lot of people are angry that the Chiefs don't have a primetime game, at least multiple primetime games at home, preferably another one earlier in the season where they could be playing uh, in warmer temperatures at primetime at home. And look, I I love those good football weather primetime games that I read just as much as anyone else. Um, I'm kind of confused as to why the the league didn't do that. Uh, They have the Monday night football game. Between the Broncos and the Chiefs in week four, the Chiefs and Broncos do meet again in week eight. Uh, Look, in October, you never know what the weather. Uh, If we want to talk about October weather at night in Kansas City, uh, generally it's going to be pretty cold. You'll need at least a jacket or or some sort of uh, layer of clothing to keep yourself warm if you're going to go out there for a few hours. Uh, But yeah, I mean, look, I'm kind of bummed out about the whole thing. Uh, I, I, I would love to see the Chiefs get more primetime games earlier in the season. Last year, off the top of my head, they had the Monday Night Football game at Arrowhead. That was against the Redskins. Uh, 
But as far as warm weather primetime games at Arrowhead, I think that's the only one in recent memory. So the Chiefs haven't had a lot of those. Of, of course, in 2016, the Chiefs only had two scheduled primetime games. One of them flexed to a Sunday Night Football game. That was the crazy game where Cairo Santos barely made a field goal uh, to win the game. It, it almost ended in a tie. But uh, because of the excitement the Chiefs brought in those games, Tyree Kill, he went off against the Raiders uh, in, in a primetime game that year. The Chiefs were given six last year and five this year. And listen, the Chiefs have been part of a lot of exciting football games. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm bummed out that they've got a tough road schedule. Uh, three of their first four on the road, four of their first six away out of Arrowhead. I mean, that's not easy, but... Uh, look, uh, you, you, you can't do much about it. Uh, every you, you can't always be given a favorable schedule every year. The Chiefs have had three consecutive home games, uh, at different times, different years. Uh, sometimes you get a nice favorable schedule. The schedule makers do you a big favor. And then there are some years where they make it tough on you. Um, there are a lot of things they take into consideration. Keep in mind, they're trying to look at all 32 teams and they're trying to, Figure out who's going to be where. And here's another thing that people might not be aware of. And I think people... Well, I, I think people in Kansas City are aware of this. But they forget about this part too. And it, here's the thing. I don't have that schedule in front of me. Well, actually, I do. It's, it's right in front of me. But I, I don't care to look at it right now so much. But people have got to keep in mind. If there are teams that share a stadium with a baseball team or a soccer team... Or, um, I mean, in the case of Oakland, yeah, they also share a, they, they share a stadium with the Athletics, but they're also in the same parking lot as the Golden State Warriors, so they've got to be careful with, with the logistics of that. In Kansas City's case, you've got two teams that share a parking lot at the Truman Sports Complex. Now, again, I've, I've got the Royal schedule in front of me, but I'm not going to bother looking into that too much. Uh, but I think that could be a big reason why the Chiefs have a lot of games on the road early. Not exactly sure uh, how much of that they looked at the Royal schedule and 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 looked at the Chiefs schedule. But nonetheless, uh, it's possible they have to look at other teams as well. Keep in mind, the Chargers are sharing a stadium right now, uh, a small soccer stadium, not very big. So I mean, maybe they need to have the Chargers get a game out out of the way early. Because of a certain scheduling conflict. And of course a lot of the bigger stadiums now. They're trying to do concerts. And they're trying to schedule that. And they've got to be careful with that as well. So there are a lot of things to take into consideration. When you see these schedules. And just understand the fact. Yeah sure they'd love to make sure. Every team can get a a warm weather primetime game. And whatnot. But sometimes uh, you can't always get it that way. Uh, but hey, look, as a Chiefs fan, look, I, I think uh, in years past, we've complained about what? Attention. But the Chiefs were bad for so long, and they couldn't get that. And now that ever since Andy Reid's come to Arrowhead, ever since he's been part of the Chiefs franchise, the Chiefs have gotten a lot of attention. They really have. And they've been one of the more competitive football teams out there. I, I've mentioned this recently. The Chiefs actually have the fifth most wins in the NFL since Andy Reid arrived in 2013. So you've got to be aware of that as well. Let me know your thoughts on the schedule. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine21. You guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Hey, look, uh, five primetime games, I'll take that. How many does Cleveland have? Uh, Let me take a quick look. 
there's a screenshot I took of that NFL schedule. And I want to take a moment to look at that. I've got it pulled up here. The NFL put out a really nice spreadsheet of all the games that will be taking place each week. And they color-coded which games are on certain primetime nights. Uh, just going to look at Cleveland. They've got one, two primetime games. Trying to see if there's a team with just one. Yes, the Arizona Cardinals, actually, right on top of the list. Uh, this is alphabetical order with uh, with uh, names of the city. The Cardinals only have one primetime game. That is with Denver on Thursday night in Week 7. So it's a non-conference primetime game that the Cardinals are getting. So would you rather have Arizona's primetime schedule or would you rather have what you already have with the Chiefs? Five primetime games, four of them on the road. Listen, beggars can't be choosers. I understand. We all... Yeah, I'm bummed out. There's no... Arrowhead primetime game earlier on in the season. I, I think, you know, on the off chance that the Chiefs are bad, that Thursday night football game, there could be a lot of empty seats, and that's the last thing you want to see with your team if they've got a primetime game at home. But, man, there's just something to, to me. Then again, like I said, I understand Arrowhead's that I mean, the Chiefs have a fan base, a great fan base, that fans will show up regardless of the temperatures. And, look, I think... You know, in order for people to make that sacrifice to possibly get sick in, in, in the weather like that, you know, you never know if the person next to you has a cold and decided to show up to Arrowhead anyway. Um, if the team is good, hell yeah, fans are going to show up. Some people still, regardless of how well the team is, uh, they would rather sit from home. I'm one of those people. Yeah, whatever. Call me a pansy. Uh, but I, I, I like my couch, especially with the multiple TV sets I have on. And if any of you guys follow me on Instagram, you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I just like to, especially nowadays, with the TV deal, the NFL actually likes it if more fans are experiencing the 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 home viewing product of the NFL, especially with how much money they spend on these TV deals. But still, you'll still expect to to see sellouts uh, with teams like the Chiefs if they're doing well. Uh, like we saw last year with the playoff game against the Titans, the Thursday night football game against the Chargers, cold weather games, but because the Chiefs were doing so great, uh, and I know last year was an up and down year, but still they were ahead in the AFC West, and that was enough to get fans to pack the pack the stadium at Arrowhead. So listen, uh, beggars can't be choosers. Once again, I understand the situation, but be happy with the fact that the NFL is looking at the Chiefs and saying, we trust this team is going to be good. We're going to give them two primetime games in the month of December, back-to-back weeks with the possibility that they'll have it for three consecutive weeks if their Week 17 game gets flexed to Sunday Night Football. That, to me, says a lot. Sometimes, you know, with our predictions and what the league thinks, what you think, what I think, we'll miss on a couple of things. But for the most part, the uh, people, everyone's predictions are generally accurate, and I'd like to think that the Chiefs, uh, provided that they don't lose half of their key players to injury or anything, that they're going to be a very competitive football team in 2018, and they'll definitely pl- prove the league right when they play those games on prime time late in the year. All right, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about Monday's media availability. Uh, a lot of people spoke. Uh, we'll hear from a few of them. Uh, I'll play audio clips from Andy Reid, a couple from Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, 
Sammy Watkins, Reggie Ragland, Kendall Fuller, and D Ford. Um, let's start with Andy Reid because, of course, as the head coach of this football team, uh, you know he'll always have a lot to say, uh, especially a longtime player. And a lot of people are comparing uh, Andy Reid's quarterback, past quarterbacks, uh, Alex Smith, Donovan McNabb, and looking at how Patrick Mahomes could do and if he can have the success that Alex Smith had or Donovan McNabb had. Uh, you know, I think both McNabb and Smith, they've been successful in their own ways. Smith has had a lot of regular season success, as we know, and has done a great job taking care of the football. Whereas McNabb, yeah, he's still been great as well. A better version of Alex Smith. Uh, Both quarterbacks that love to scramble, but with McNabb, you saw more postseason success. Something you didn't see much of with Alex Smith. And this is a topic to get into detail with for another time, but for Alex Smith... He's actually done great. Uh, you know, if we're just talking individual statistics, he's done great in the playoffs. Uh, it's just for whatever reason, he's never been able to see a lot of wins in the playoffs. And look, the the playoff game in Indianapolis, the the, the game in uh, in Tennessee, the 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 losing to a kicker game against the Steelers. It's it's just been an unfortunate trend for Alex Smith, and really just. Uh, doesn't really add up as to why he does so great in the playoffs, but the 49ers and the Chiefs don't. Uh, don't forget Kyle Williams. If he does not fumble those, uh, if he doesn't muff those punt returns, Alex Smith is going to a Super Bowl. And he probably doesn't even leave San Francisco. So anyway, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of people talking about the quarterback comparisons and uh, Andy Reid, of course, talked about uh, Pat Mahomes and uh, it brought up something interesting about Pat Mahomes' activity uh, to work with some of the offensive players in the offseason and, and touched on his passion for the game of football. Yeah, so one thing Patrick can do now is he can, and what he did before today, today he can take the players out there, the skill position players, tight ends, running backs, wide receivers, and they can throw before this, he took him and he went over to another field. He couldn't do it here, so and then threw with him there. So um, and there can't be any coaches there. So he's having to kind of be both. But the one thing he can do is work his timing. Um, he he goes back and he looks at everything film wise. I mean, he's got a film library and he goes back and he's evaluated everything. He's relentless that way. And and uh, so he's he's gone back through the the season a couple, three times and, and, uh, and looked at it. So I'm listen. I mean, he's, he's pretty passionate about how he goes about his business. As we know, this is going to be Andy Reid's 20th season as the, as a head coach, not the head coach of the chiefs, but as a head coach in the NFL, 26 years all around as an NFL coach, as a head coach and an assistant and 36 overall, as a coach, including in college. He won't just speak highly of a player just for the hell of it. Now, sure, in front of the media, you, you've got to say certain things. You, you, we all know that coaches and players, they, they, won't, uh, they, they won't always be upfront with the media. But a guy like Andy Reid, when he says something, I, I, there, there's definitely be, there, there's meaning behind it. Say what you want about Andy Reid's success as a head coach, especially in the postseason. 
But at the end of the day, a lot of people around the NFL respect Andy Reid for the job he's done in the NFL, despite not winning a Super Maybe it's possible, and I've said this before, and this is kind of an unfortunate thing to have. The Chiefs could have two head coaches to be known as the best to never, ever win a a Super Bowl, and that's Marty Schottenheimer and Andy Reid. They both come close, more so Andy Reid than Marty. Um... But there's something to be said about that. And again, like I said, he he doesn't just speak highly of a player just just for the hell of it. He knows a good, talented player when he sees one, especially at the quarterback position. And I think this says a lot about Patrick Mahomes, who obviously you know followed the rules as as you have to. You can't practice at Arrowhead's practice facility due to these uh, league rules. But he worked around it, and there was always a way to go around the rules without getting into trouble. Got a few of his offensive teammates together uh, and uh, went to a high school field and just tried to work together, get used to each other's styles and you know what routes they run in what ways, and how quickly can they get there, and also for those pass catchers to get used to Mahomes and his his throwing style, and really where they can expect the ball at what time. Every every NFL team has OTAs. Every NFL team has a training camp in preseason. So w- when people say that, well, you should be fully prepared going into the regular season with all these practices you have, yeah, sure, but not every team just ends up being good just based on preparation. However, when you do things like this, when you basically apply extra practices that you can't have at at the practice facility, but maybe you can have them elsewhere. This is how you get ahead of the curve. And this is how you get ahead of other teams out there. And I think this could maybe make a slight difference. A slight difference doesn't sound much, but hey, look, a slight difference is better than nothing. And I think the more you can get used to your teammates, the more ahead you can be in OTAs and be even more ahead by the time training camp gets underway. And I think that's huge for for a team that's making this quarterback transition. This is what this offseason is about for the Chiefs. That quarterback transition. You're getting Patrick Mahomes. Now, give him the best guys to work with. You're bringing back two great pro bowlers and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And don't forget, Sammy Watkins has now joined the equation. And that's another weapon for Pat Mahomes to use. And in this press conference, and I'm not going to play the audio for this, but Pat Mahomes did talk about veteran guys like Chris Conley and, and how much uh, he's been helping him out this offseason. And that's really huge. And let's go to Patrick Mahomes now as he talks about those practices and how he and some of those offensive players did. I try to kind of simulate it if there was a defense out there. So I, I would give the routes and then I'd give them based off certain coverage. Can we run them differently compared to in the game? You get to kind of adjust on the fly. So I would say single safety middle zone maybe or cover two and try to let the receivers run the routes how they would run it versus that and so we can build timing and things like that. All right, not bad. I mean, I, I can't go against that. I, I applaud him for getting his teammates together and, and trying to make this all happen. It's great to see Mahomes and some of the offensive players take the time to to do all that. A lot of, a lot of people have their deal this offseason. I mean, Tom Brady's currently on vacation, not at, at the Patriots facilities at, at the moment. Uh, so a lot of times it's nice to see these players, especially when some of these things are voluntary, that they're taking the time to be here. 
obviously, without coaches and all 22 players on the on the field, you can't accomplish a lot. But like I said a moment ago, uh, before playing that Mahomes audio, you can still accomplish something. Even if it's just something that makes you 1% better, you are still better than you were the day before. And I think that, again, small steps like that can turn into giant steps forward. That's the approach that this football team needs to take. That's the approach Pat Mahomes needs to take. Because, as I've said before, this is the term I've used for him. This is his redshirt rookie year in the NFL. That's really what it is for him. And outside of doing some of the media uh, press conferences, uh, when, when the Chiefs had to, when, when the Chiefs introduced a couple of uh, players during free agency, Mahomes was in the facility, but you can't do much uh, outside of doing media. So it's not like you can really meet with um, with uh, coaches or general managers when it comes to contract negotiation. There are very few things you are allowed to do if you're in the building for whatever reason. So for Mahomes, it was simply a matter of getting in there and meeting with the media, maybe talking to the coaches for, for just a little bit, and then he's got to get out after that. So some strict rules, and this is due to the CBA, which is going to expire soon, and they'll have to re- refigure out some of those things. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Mahomes is doing what he needs to do. And I think this this leads us into our, the next audio clip I'm going to play that talks about his leadership, and also not just that, but trying to get the offense to improve. A very good offense last year, but still some holds there. And we saw that last year when the offense was quiet in some games. And Patrick Mahomes talks about trying to get this offense to improve and everyone on the team wanting to improve. All these guys in the locker room want to get better. And so just as much as I'm listening to them, they're listening to me. And so we're trying to make each other better every single day. And when you have guys like that, you can kind of say things, and they listen to you, and they give feedback, and that's how you get better as a team. Keep in mind, this is a guy who spent his rookie season on the sidelines watching, with the exception of that last game. But we all know that was not a real regular season feeling type of game. It just wasn't. The Broncos were ready to quit. The Chiefs were using a lot of their backups because the outcome of that game would not change their standings, similar to what Andy Reid did in Week 17 of the of the 2013 season. Now, with that one year of learning under his belt, and sure, you know, we could talk about how whether or not we thought there should have been a quarterback switch, but that debate means nothing right now. He just had that one year under his belt where he spent 16 weeks, or 16 games rather, learning, and then uh, in the, uh, or 16 weeks rather, excuse me, yeah, in the, that 17th week, uh, he of course took the starting role and did a great job with it for his first game in the NFL. Kind of a rough start early on, but still got through it and led the Chiefs to a win on that final drive. He'll have a better grip. When he goes out there. And the communication will be. Better because of that. There will still be a learning curve. For, for Patrick Mahomes. We, we, we've talked about this. And we talked about that with Therese Paler. Who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. But he's going into a big leadership role. In his first year. As the primary quarterback of, of this football team. And that of course is a huge step. It's one of those things that. We have to wait and see what happens. But I'm certain like many people. He will do well. I really do. I don't think this is a guy who's going to end up being a bust. I think there will be a slow start early in the regular season. And again, please keep in mind, this is a pretty brutal schedule. 
I mean, Patrick Mahomes played five preseason games last year. He's going to play three preseason games, maybe four. We'll see how the Chiefs handle him with that fourth preseason game. But, man, uh, I mean, you're his first real test in the NFL. He's going to be going up against Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. And then he's going to be facing a Steelers defense. And the Steelers defensively have been very good for a long time. So he's going to get beat up a little bit here and there and just deal with some of the growing pains. Uh, I mean, that's part of the road for every NFL player, especially a rookie quarterback. And not that he is a rookie now, but still feels like a rookie because this is his first full year playing under center in the NFL. In my opinion, I, like I said, I think he struggles for the first couple of games. He'll have a couple of highlights, but he'll have a couple of moments that people are going to notice and remember uh, and not forget about it anytime soon, some negative stuff that I'm referring to. But I think at the end of the day, he will pick it up very quickly. Any of the mistakes he makes early on in the regular season, I think he will limit those mistakes in terms of repeating them in the future. I, I, he really comes off as that kind of quarterback that will find ways to limit them. And I think coaching is a huge part of that as well. I think Andy Reid's going to play a big role in that. And how he did at Texas Tech with that offense, uh, you, you can get that vibe from him and that he'll, he'll be able to do that in the NFL. And one of the players who has helped him a lot this offseason was Travis Kelsey. He was asked to compare himself to Mahomes at 22 years old. And Kelsey had kind of an interesting response when talking about that with Mahomes. I don't want to compare me and him at 22 because he's far, far long. Um far more along than I was, but it's, um, I don't think that age is going to be something that, that we need to look at. I think it's just, uh, the reps, um, the more, the more he gets acclimated with the playing, uh, not, not so much style, but the speed of everything. I think that is going to be the biggest challenge for him for sure. Give him some praise in doing so. And, and listen, let me just say this about Travis Kelsey. I know Kelsey does some immature things that bother, bother some chiefs fans, but if I'm an NFL player, I want to play with this guy. I want him on my team. Were there times that Kelsey was upset with how things went with this football team with Alex Smith as a quarterback? Yeah, of course. I remember Smith last year threw a bad pass that was picked off and Kelsey put his arms up in frustration, uh, just not happy with, with the way the pass went. However, he never threw Alex Smith under the bus. In fact, he praised him heavily more than anyone last year. As a matter of fact, he believed in Alex Smith quite a lot last year before the season even kicked off, said a lot of things about him. Even when Patrick Mahomes got drafted, still talk about how Alex Smith was the guy and he's going to really help this football team in 2017 and look what happened. Sure, we can talk talk about how Maybe the selection of Mahomes, especially trading up for him, maybe pushed Alex Smith to do much better. And that's, you know, that's 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 normal. And that's a human thing to have happen to you sometimes when you might realize your job's in jeopardy. Uh, but Travis Kelsey has always believed in him. And now he's here he is saying a lot of positive things about Pat Mahomes coming up. Remember when Eric Fisher was called for holding against Steelers in that playoff game on a two-point try to try to tie the game? Obviously, 
Fisher was bummed out about that because the Chiefs did tie the game, but it got called back and they had to redo it. They failed. Kelsey in the locker room was very quick to defend Eric Fisher. I'm sure you guys remember the gesture he made on Sunday Night Football in 2014 against the Broncos. People thought he was doing that gesture uh, to a referee when it was actually about Von Miller and some dirty hit that Kelsey was unhappy about. Again, immature act. I don't condone it, especially when you have kids that, that see that. Um, and then you have a lot of kids who do that in school thinking like it's funny and it means really nothing negative. Uh, when, you know, it's not the most mature thing to do. But anyway, I, I, you guys get the idea. My point is, he's always standing up for his teammates. Again, immature act. Maybe not the most ideal way to to stand up for it. You, you He actually ended up getting fined for that, um, for that uh, footlocker comment he made when trying to defend Kelsey. And also in 2014 when he made that gesture. He got fined for those instances. Listen, and I know he's he's pushed and shoved a couple guys. As long as you don't get physical to the point where you start a fight, I'm I'm fine if a guy does something a little out of line, a little nutty sometimes, to stick up for his teammate. I'd rather have that than a guy who just kind of stands and really doesn't even say anything about his teammates or doesn't stand up for them on the field when there's a dirty hit that the refs don't even notice. That's the kind of person Travis Kelsey is. And of course, he's a huge part of this team. He has been a part of this team uh, ever since he, he's he's been in the NFL, uh, despite not playing his rookie season. And I think that's worth noting because similar to Mahomes, but for different reasons, Kelsey had a knee injury and Mahomes, uh, he was a backup his first year. Uh, Mahomes didn't play his rookie season, just like Kelsey, with the exception of that Week 17 game. So I think Kelsey could even give him some uh, some advice on you know how to handle this whole approach of not playing your rookie season and then all of a sudden being put into the starting role in your second year in the NFL. And I think Mahomes could definitely learn some things about that from Travis Kelsey. Let's go over to Sammy Watkins, who, of course, uh, the Chiefs signed in free agency from the LA Rams, he talked about trying to rebound in Kansas City. Everything he's dealing with and what he's trying to put behind and trying to move forward while he's here in Kansas City. I mean, all athletes, you know, we can only, we only can control what we can control, and that's um, your effort, your attitude, and um, how you come to work every day. And um, I just look back at a guy I played with, Robert Woods, who I played with for um, three years, and he wasn't getting those targets, and I was. And um, I just looked at his situation. He still um, came to work every day, worked hard, and went and got a nice contract or deal or whatever. So um, I had guys to help me through it. And um, that's one thing I remember was um, even though I'm not getting the targets, I'm going to come and um, play the game like it's supposed to be played. And I feel like that moments, those moments um, made me a better player. I feel like that needed to happen um, to make me an all-around player, play without the ball. And um, I'm a better player because of it. That's very interesting. He's using that comparison with Woods uh, and trying to learn from that because now he finds himself on the other end uh, of, of, of that kind of situation where he's in Woods' shoes now, uh, which is good for him to have that mindset and admit that to, to the media. Uh, it's a very hard thing to do to be in that situation and talk about it publicly, but Sammy Watkins is doing that, and I think that shows that he doesn't have an ego 
coming into Kansas City. Here's another thing. He he, he is coming off a, a quiet season where he played 15 games, started 14, but had very low numbers in reception and yards. He barely beat his 2016 stats, in which he only played half the games that year. He did have, however, eight touchdowns last season. Second most in a single season for him. If he had those eight touchdowns while a member of the Chiefs last year, that would have tied Travis Kelsey for first on the team in 2017. Tyreek Hill had seven. The rest had either three or less. He said something interesting uh, there. And let me just say this. I think Kansas City is a great fit for Sammy Watkins. I got a tweet earlier this week. Somebody mentioned how... Um, you know, the contract could be bad if Sammy Watkins doesn't play well. But let me just say this. I think he does play well. I don't think he's going to be your Jerry Rice type of guy. No, not at all. But I think he's got a role with this football team. His role is to gradually improve week by week. We know that this offense has a lot of weapons. And again, knock on wood that they stay healthy. But if for whatever reason Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey have a quiet game, well, that might be Sammy Watkins' time to shine and uh, come up strong for for the Chiefs in that football game. So uh, if there was no Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey on this team and Sammy Watkins was relied on to be the main target, look, we're concerned here because this is a guy who's been quiet for a couple of years, dealing with injuries, not getting the ball as much, and now all of a sudden we're relying on him to be the number one pass catcher on the football team, and that that's not an easy transition to make for him. Now he's on a football team where there's no pressure on him. Like I said, you've got Hill, you've got Kelsey, and you know that this is an offense where the system's so unique where the running backs are very active in the passing game. So there's no pressure on Sammy Watkins to have five, six catches and 80-plus yards and a touchdown every single game. He can gradually work his way up and start having those kinds of games. And listen, as I said, you you cannot have 100 yards receiving and a touchdown for Kelsey, Hill, and Watkins every single game. And that's just not that's just not the reality. Even though they're all great pass catchers, you can't get that kind of production every single game. And if you do, holy crap, you have one hell of an offense. In 2018, probably going to be better than that New England offense. So again, that's why I'm saying uh, that's not a reality. But he'll be a guy who steps in there and keeps this offense alive, keeps this offense going in case Hill has a bad game or Kelsey or both of them. And again, if if, if Watkins is having a quiet game or if Kelsey's having a quiet game, Tyree Kill's probably having a better game on offense. If Hill and Watkins are quiet, Kelsey has the big big day probably in the passing game. So. You've got a lot of great guys that you can rely on. And again, for Mahomes being in his rookie retreat season, uh, or retreat rookie season, I should say, this is a great situation for him as well. And I think this fits well for Sammy Watkins to be in, in this situation. Uh, change of scenery can definitely help a player, especially when you're in a, in a scene where there are other players that uh, that are going to have a big impact on this offense. So that's great for Sammy Watkins to be in this position the way that he will be in the role that he'll have. Switching gears to the other side of the football, on the defensive side, let's start with Reg Raglan, um, who uh, in his interaction with Therese Paylor in this in, in this question, uh, Therese kind of mentioned that, that he was underrated and, and Raglan said he believes he's underrated, uh, but he has confidence in his role with the Chiefs in 2018. 
How important is it to be a three-down linebacker in the days that teams pass so much? I think it's give you a little bit more range and coverage. I think you're probably a little underrated there as it is. I, mean, you got- I, f- I feel like I am underrated as a as a cover guy. But as a three-down guy, like you want to be the main guy out there calling everything, and you want to get the guys lined up. So for me, I've done it in college, and I did it in high school. So like I'm used to doing it. So like as me as a player, I want to be out there on the field when it's crunch time, and most of the time it's third down when it's crunch time. I know a lot of people were sad to see Derek Johnson go, but it had to be done. And by the way, I, I tweeted about this, and I also wrote this on the Facebook page. Derek Johnson, Tom Holly, and Ron Parker – they were all released this offseason, and some Chiefs fans took issue with that. Those three guys I just mentioned, none of them are signed at the moment. They might be pickups after the draft or maybe right before uh, training camp, but that's not really a good thing for those guys. So if anything, if they're unsigned with less than a week to go before the draft, I think this tells you Brett Beach made the right move in letting those guys go. And again... I get a lot of people were sad to see DJ go. Like I said, it had to be done. I think Reggie Ragland is the right guy to replace him. He talked about doing some of these things in college. He played at Alabama, and it goes without saying that defensive players at Bama are always set up for success, especially if they want to go pro. And as a second-round pick, for whatever reason, things didn't work out for for Ragland in Buffalo. Now, with a full offseason here in Kansas City, how does he do with the Chiefs? This is one of the storylines that's worth keeping a close eye on because he came up strong last year for the Chiefs whenever he started to play. Another thing to keep in mind, last year for the Chiefs, the starting inside linebackers, and I'll mention this later on uh, in the podcast again, Derek Johnson and Remick Wilson were your starting inside linebackers against the Patriots. Now it's probably going to be Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens. Hitchens, of course, one of the newly signed players on this defense. Another new guy on this defense, Kendall Fuller, who talked about being wanted in Kansas City and learning this defensive system under Andy Reid and defensive coordinator Bob Sutton. Just the fact that how, how bad they wanted me to be here um, and uh, just starting to learn the system now, how much similar it is to, to how, how it was in Washington. Uh, you know, we had meetings today after, after you know, EB kind of just asked me was any anything I didn't understand and stuff like that, and I was like, man, honestly, like it was stuff that we kind of just same thing, same same language and stuff like that. So, um, it really just excites me more as I learn the system because it's all stuff that you know I feel like I can do at a high level. Here's my biggest takeaway from that: he referred to Eric Berry as EB. Yes. That nickname, to me, is the biggest takeaway, and here's why. You don't just call a teammate who you barely know, who you've only been teammates with for a couple months, officially one month, but we know it's been a little longer than that because the trade uh, was reported uh, the week of the Super Bowl. So, Kendall Fuller's, he's basically been on the team for a couple of months now. You don't just, like I say, you don't just call a a teammate by their nickname when you've only known them for a limited amount of time. But Kendall Fuller did that. I mean, that's what we heard him saying. He he called him EB. That tells me he's already hung out with Eric Berry. They've gotten to know each other personally and professionally, hung out, you know, done some things off the field, and at the same time have spent some time trying to get to know each other on this defense and 
how they can make this defense better. And this is a defense that definitely needs to get better. What this tells me is they're going to have good rapport on the field. And Eric Berry's had some good cornerbacks he's worked with over the years here in Kansas City. Uh, Brandon Flowers, Brandon Carr, Marcus Peters. Uh, there have been some good cornerbacks here. And now he's got Kendall Fuller, hopefully another cornerback that can help form a very strong cornerback safety duo here in Kansas City. Eric Berry's been a part of a lot of good cornerback safety duos. And Kendall Fuller, hopefully another one, added to the list. You need that to have that rapport in team sports. And Fuller can definitely learn a lot from Eric Berry going into his third year in the NFL. And the fact that they've spent time together so far, that's pretty good. And that definitely makes you feel optimistic about the, the direction that this defense is at least going into for 2018. And listen, there are a lot of players out there in the NFL, not just in Kansas City, but outside who are doing things like this to prepare for the upcoming season. Uh, but some teams... They're, they're not. Uh, you, you know that for sure there are some teams out there, some players out there who are not taking the time to do things like this. And, and hopefully this will pay off in, in the long run and that the Chiefs can show that they can get ahead of the curve, ahead of other teams when they do things like this. Final audio clip I want to play. This one's from D Ford, who I think is going to be the biggest wild card out of all of the Chiefs players going into 2018. He talked about his knee and the impact it had on his quiet 2017 season. Just imagine your leg randomly going numb. That's just what it was, you know. And then when the feeling came back, it was pain, you know. So, like I said, I did not want to leave my team hanging. We was on a good roll. We had just beat New England, uh, Philly. You know, I I couldn't miss out on that. But uh, unfortunately, well, fortunately now because I feel awesome, so. It was frustrating, but uh, it was a lesson learned. Uh, players have a tendency to try to ride the wheels till they fall off, and it really don't work that way. So I did the best thing um, by getting that surgery. All right, cut off a little early in the end there, but he talked about getting surgery. Uh, uh, look, my reaction to that, some might say he's making excuses. I posted this on the Facebook page, and that's what some people said. I don't know. Some say it's an excuse. Hard for me to say. Uh, players try to hide from the public eye any pain or injuries that they play through or that they, they, they played through before. I mean, they might admit it after the fact, but in the moment, they don't want to really make it public. Keep in mind, uh, uh, not uh, last offseason, but the offseason before that, Justin Houston had uh, surgery on his ACL, and the Chiefs were trying to keep it a complete secret. And once it got out, a lot of people were kind of confused about this. But listen, understandably so, even though the, the news was going to come out, they wanted to keep that you know under under the radar for as long as they could. Um, you know, I think a lot of players play with injury uh, or, or play through some some pain, and maybe the media doesn't know about it in that moment. Uh, listen, as someone who has had knee surgery. Uh, and, you know, hopefully I don't have any other tears on my body where I have to have surgery because, you know, I, I, I tore my ACL and my meniscus and that was incredibly painful and, and probably the worst weekend of my life where all I did was lay down and do nothing, which was terrible. I'm not one of those people where I can't just lay down. I've, I've got to be productive. I've got to be up and moving around. Sure, maybe I can have a lazy Sunday here and there, but 
I, I, I've got to be off my, my butt. I can't be sitting le- sitting down, laying down all weekend, which I did when I had my surgery. Uh, I still remember that like it was yesterday. But uh, overall, uh, the thing with with knee surgeries, they're very they're very hard to or knee injuries. They're very hard to to go through. And now he's had the surgery that could take time to recover from. You never know. Every surgery is a little bit different. Every player, every person recovers from surgery a little bit differently. So that's another thing to consider. Um, Like I said, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Sure, for the most part, since he's been drafted by the Chiefs in 2014, he hasn't had a lot of great seasons. But the one great moment he did have was the first half of 2016. And people are hoping that that version of D. Ford will show up and be consistent. Let's see if he can return to his first half 2016 form and keep it that way for 16 games. That's going to be very important for D4 to be able to do. Chiefs are keeping him this year, and he's making a lot of money this year, more than $8 million uh, staying with him on that. But this is also a contract year for him, so maybe he'll he will do better in hopes of him earning a big contract for 2019 and beyond, whether it's here in Kansas City or elsewhere and speaking of guys trying to earn contracts a lot of people gonna be drafted next week and by the way i did not mention this in the beginning of the podcast we will have a podcast on monday previewing the nfl draft we'll go into detail about that a little bit more and then of course we'll have the draft on thursday unless the chiefs trade up to make a pick i will not do a podcast uh, for Friday morning, uh, but if the Chiefs, for whatever reason, surprise us and do something crazy, then we will do a podcast, a short one that will come out on Friday morning. Uh, but assuming none of that happens, there will be a recap podcast on Sunday. We'll talk about the NFL draft and everything that happened with the Chiefs, and then we'll go back to our uh, normal, normal, regular schedule uh, in releasing the podcast on Thursdays. So there will be two episodes of the Chiefs Hill podcast. Uh, or actually one rather, which is just just going to be on Monday. No podcast on thir- uh, Thursday, but then we'll have two podcasts after the draft, the week after, to recap it, look from it from different angles, and try to get someone to, to come on the podcast and help us out with some of the Chiefs draft picks. But looking at the Chiefs mock draft, first of all, you know, I talked about a couple of the players who I think the Chiefs can end up taking. Uh, we talked about James Washington, the great career he had at Oklahoma State, and he's kind of viewed as a guy who could be taken in the first round, maybe late second round, but I personally think that there's a team out there that values him, and they think highly of him, and they're just going to draft him high anyway, because they just want to secure him and, and not let him go to another football team. I've got a lot of tweets this week about Josh Jackson, and really the entire offseason, about Iowa cornerback Josh Jackson. I know we've got a lot of Iowa fans listening to the podcast. Uh, a lot of people from the state of Iowa. I'm sure some Cyclones fans as well. Uh, but a lot of people want to see Josh Jackson stay in the Midwest and and uh, go south on the 35 and play at, at Arrowhead. And he, he, of course, had a successful career at college. Did not allow a touchdown after week four last season. He's 6'1", 192 pounds, very long arms, and can make plays with his hands. But to be honest, I truly don't know if he's going to be available with that 54th pick. The Chiefs are rumored to trade up. To me, that means nothing. All 32 teams, including the Browns, are expected to trade up. 
You know, people are guessing the Rams could have more than two first-round picks. I mean, I mean that, that's that's the rumor. People are doing it for clicks now. There are also rumors that all, that all 32 teams could trade down. To me, a lot of times when, when you hear those rumors, they really don't mean nothing to me until it actually happens, if it does happen. So I'm assuming the Chiefs stay with the 54th pick. And realistically speaking, I think that will be the case because unless you trade one of your Pro Bowl guys, which I don't think the Chiefs want to do right now, I don't think the Chiefs are in position to really trade up unless Brett Veach, who's who's pulled some surprises already this offseason with trades, some positive, some negative, maybe the Chiefs do something that'll surprise us in the draft this week or next weekend. So we'll see about that. Here is my muck draft. I, and I think Josh Jackson, to be honest with you, I think he's going to be taken before the 54th, but maybe even before the end, way before the end of the first round. Uh, I think he's that good of a cornerback, and I think there are teams that value guys like James Washington, who I think could be a great wide receiver in this system, even if it's stacked already. And I think Josh Jackson also goes before the end of the first round. As far as who I think the Chiefs will get, here's a guy who we already talked about here on the podcast. With the 54th pick, I think the Chiefs go after the defensive tackle from Virginia Tech uh, coming out of his sophomore season, Tim Settle. Great explosion as a defensive lineman and can push interior linemen, offensive linemen backwards, disrupt the pocket, basically ruin life for a quarterback. And one of the things about him, he lost a lot of weight last offseason during the summer of 2017 to try to improve. And that ended up being the case when he lost a lot of weight that translated to more success for him on the field in 2017. Had four sacks that year after having none his first year. And just the the presence that he had on defense up front, that really impressed a lot of scouts. And that gave him reasons to believe he should declare for the NFL. And he's expected to go in the second round. I think that's who the Chiefs will pick up with the 54th pick. In round 3, 78th overall, I think the Chiefs go, out, go after USC outside linebacker Uchenna Nuwasu. Played his senior year at USC. Possesses great great burst and great chase speed. But can be inconsistent and he's been criticized for not living up to his potential. Not giving 100% when he is capable of it. And if so, if he, or if he were to do so, he'd probably be a first rounder in this draft. And with a guy like Andy Reid coaching him, I think Andy Reid could get him to play 100% and do well every single snap. He had seven and a half sacks last season, plus two more sacks in the Cotton Bowl loss to Ohio State last year. Sticking with round three, eight picks later, I think the Chiefs go on the offensive side this time. They go after interior lineman Austin Corbett, a senior, originally was a tackle in Nevada, but is expected to switch to interior uh, the interior offensive line either guard or center a lot of people are saying center but still could do well as a guard in the NFL the Chiefs need to add some depth on this offensive line he's a former walk-on in Nevada and he turned into a four-year starter over there plays with purpose in both the run and the pass game as uh, Scott say and he's an above average lineman compared to some of the other guys 
in this draft class. So I think that's a guy who maybe not, won't be a, a starter right away unless there are some injuries on the offensive line, but he's definitely a guy who could provide some depth. He's very versatile and can play multiple positions on the offensive line, and I think that can really help out Kansas City's offensive line as they try to improve in that area. And round four, 122nd overall, it's going to be a while before the next pick for the Chiefs uh, in between their second and third round pick and their first fourth round pick. But I think they go after Tennessee cornerback Rashawn Golden, who is foregoing his senior season. Unfortunately, he is known for more of his, more for the profane gesture he made uh, in front of Alabama student section when he had scored a touchdown. Uh, but hey, look, uh, Andy Reid knows how to work with these guys, so I'm not too concerned about that. He started all 12 games last year, had three and a half tackles for a loss, one interception, five pass breakups, three forced fumbles, and three fumble recoveries, all of them in 2017. In 2016, he had six tackles for a loss, four pass breakups in nine starts. Very rough year for Tennessee, especially on the defensive side, but Rashawn Golden was one of the very few bright spots for the Volunteers, and I think that'll be a good pickup for the Chiefs in the fourth round. Uh, going with the other fourth round pick, and sticking in the state uh, in the state of Tennessee, I think they go after, and by the way, this is going to be just two picks later, they go on the offensive side, they pick up middle Tennessee wide receiver Richie James, who uh, was a retro senior last year, and Lance Zerloin, who I mentioned on the podcast before, did a great job with his uh, analysis of, of these uh, upcoming rookies. He compared Richie James to DeAnthony Thomas. A lot of times you see these players get compared to an active player. Well, uh, Zerline compared it, compared Richie James to DeAnthony Thomas. Undersized slot option with great speed, lacks the strength, had 100-plus catches, and more than 1,300 receiving yards in 2015 and 2016 each. But injury slowed him down in 2017, had just 31 catches for 290 yards. He was the top receiver for for Middle Tennessee in those two years where he excelled in 2015 and 2016. He actually had more than 1,600 yards in 2016. So this just tells you, I mean, as a redshirt senior or junior, how well he did and how much he was able to do to help that Middle Tennessee offense. And if he can do some of that here in Kansas City, especially using that speed, and I guess you could have two D'Anthony Thomases on this football team. Maybe Richie James, who is compared to D'Anthony Thomas, might be competing against D'Anthony Thomas for a spot on the team. You never know. But uh, with the style of offense Andy Reid runs, speed is crucial, and that can go a long way, and that'll really help Pat Mahomes. No fifth-round pick for the Chiefs in round six, 196th overall. I think the Chiefs go after Notre Dame tight end Durham Smith who is coming off a senior season. His stats, not great. And if he did have better stats, I think he certainly would be drafted a lot sooner than the sixth round. I'll read you the stats. They're not great. In four years, he had 28 catches for 381 yards and six touchdowns. Those are not great numbers uh, in in, in four years of college football. So I don't think he'll be targeted much in the NFL. But... The reason I do think he will be drafted, and I think it'd be great if Kansas City got him, it's because of his blocking ability. And if I had to give you my NFL comparison, I'll, I'll say it as a former player, but I think it still fits. I think he's his NFL comparison is Jason Dunn, who backed up Tony Gonzalez for a long time here in Kansas City. But Jason Dunn 
was a huge part in Kansas City's protection and, and, and blocking. Yeah, sure, say what you want about Willie Rofe, Will Shields, and those guys were were very big, both physically and also figuratively, when trying to help this offense. But Jason Dunn, even as a backup, did a lot of things, paving the way for guys like Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson, as those guys had had some great rushing years in Kansas City, and I think that's the kind of tight end Durham Smith will be in the NFL. And I think in order to... Give yourself an opportunity an opportunity to crack a 53-man roster. He'll not only need to do great things on offense as a blocker, but he'll need to be able to do some of that on special teams. A lot of times with these late-round picks, undrafted guys, they need to be able to find ways to do well on offense or defense, depending which one they play, and also be able to do well on special teams. Because if they can do well in those two areas, coaches love that, and that'll definitely give them an opportunity to... Crack the 53-man roster, or at the very least, be on the practice squad and eventually get called to get to the team or maybe get signed and get picked up by another team. Seventh-round pick for the Kansas City Chiefs. First of two seventh-round picks. Boise State offensive tackle Archie Lewis. Coming off senior season, a left tackle who stayed with his assignments in passing plays. Built holes for running backs as a Bronco, but of course, level of competition, not the greatest, and that is why he is set to go late in this draft, maybe even undrafted. And then with the other 7th round pick, I've got a local guy. 243rd overall, Kansas State linebacker, inside linebacker, Trent Taking from Holton, Kansas. Had 97 tackles, second on the team. Had three and a half tackles for a loss and a forced fumble. Uh, listen, I, I mentioned this a couple of times. And I think now it's time to get into this w- with detail a bit more. Kansas City's starting inside linebackers in week one against the Pats. Derek Johnson and Ramick Wilson. Now it's going to be probably Reggie Ragland and Anthony Hitchens. Derek Johnson's a free agent. Wilson's now with the Rams. Raglan and Hitchens might own those roles in 2018. And Kansas City doesn't have a lot of reliable inside linebackers at the moment behind those two guys. So they're going to need to build some depth. And I think if they can get a guy like Tanking, if he's available late in the draft, that is someone who the Chiefs can add. And from there, you try to see what you can do with him, what kind of progress he can make as he tries to grow as an NFL player. So you, you you draft him, see what you can do in the offseason, and if he's worth keeping by the time September comes around. So that is my mock draft. Let me know your guys' thoughts on my mock draft. Facebook.com slash Farzine Vesugian, at Farzine21 on Twitter, and my email is Farzine at Farzine I promise you guys I get to my Chiefs Mount Rushmore. First, I want to read some of your guys' comments. I'll tell you guys who I, who I have as my four and why. But you guys had a lot of great responses here. Uh, Just going down the line, Scott said Len Dawson, DT, Tony Gonzalez, and Lamar Hunt. Uh, A lot of people had Dawson, Derek Thomas, and Tony Gonzalez. A lot of people had those guys. Uh, And actually Lamar Hunt as well. I mean, those are the four popular guys on the list. Uh, But not everyone had those four. A couple of people had those exact four. uh, But a couple of people had some different guys. For example, Jacob... Uh, he also has Lamar, DT, uh, but then he also has Lenny, Len Dawson, but then he says Priest or Tony G. 
Frank says Len Dawson, DT, Neil Smith, an interesting one, and Tony Gonzalez. Uh, Josh Howard said Derek Thomas, Deron Cherry, Buck Buchanan, and he said Taylor. I'm assuming that's Otis Taylor. Uh, I would assume so. I don't know what other Taylors are out there for uh, notable from, from Chiefs history. Uh, kind of an interesting list. Uh, Cherry and, and Buchanan. Few people actually had Buchanan more than I thought, which I was a little surprised by. Uh, Eric says Lamar, Lamar Hunt, Hank Stram, Len Dawson, and Derek Thomas. It's actually getting warmer to my list. That's actually the closest, I'll, I'll say. Uh, Robert said Lamar Hunt, Derek Thomas, Hank Stram, Tony Gonzalez. I, I, that's exactly the same as the first list. Uh, but the exception of Hank Stram instead of it's Len Dawson. These are, these are some, some great picks, by the way. A couple of them I, I disagree with, with, um... With Cherry, and with all due respect, I know Deron Cherry's wife actually commented on this. She actually just said uh, Deron Cherry. That's the only person she put on here. But nonetheless, I do appreciate her uh, commenting on this. Um, a lot of people basically said Stram, uh, DT, Lamar Hunt, Tony Gonzalez. Uh, a few people said Neil Smith, which I think was interesting. Colby included Jamal Charles on his and Will Shields. Also, DT and Tony Gonzalez, no coaches, which I thought is kind of interesting, especially if you're going to have a Chiefs Mount Rushmore. And I think everyone might have their own opinion of what a Mount Rushmore is or who you include and why. Um, reading some of the other more interesting ones here. David also had Jamal Charles, but he had Tony Gonzalez, Derek Thomas, and Len Dawson. Dedrick had Marcus Peters on his list, uh, which I thought was interesting. Uh, going down the line, trying to see if I can find an interesting... Brent had a good one here. Uh, well, I don't agree with this one, Jared Allen. But he had Tony Gonzalez, Marty Schottenheimer, and Lamar Hunt. Uh, a couple people making some joking comments. Well, Brian had an interesting one. Len Dawson, Derek Thomas, Christian Okoye, and Eric Berry. Two guys I was not expecting to, to see on this list at all. Uh, try to see if I can find some interesting ones. Jason said Len Dawson and Joe Montana. And then he said Allen. I assume Jared Allen and Priest Holmes. All right. So I'd love to read all of the responses here, but some of you guys have some repeat ones. I I think really all the players that were mentioned at least once I have uh, mentioned on here, but here is my four. I have Lamar Hunt. Of course, the founder of the AFL and the founder of the Chiefs. You've got to have him on there, especially the legacy he left behind. Hank Stram, of course, the first head coach of the Chiefs and what he and Lamar Hunt did to work together to build this Chiefs football team. And I've got to include Len Dawson on that list as well. The first quarterback. And here's the thing about Len Dawson. I'm not including him just because he was the quarterback when the Chiefs won a Super Bowl and was the Super Bowl MVP. I'm also including him for what he did off the field as a broadcaster even as a player, he was a broadcaster. He was trying to, because the Chiefs just moved to Kansas City, there was not a lot of interest for this football team. They were the leftover team from Dallas because everyone cared about the Dallas Cowboys and nobody cared about the Dallas Texans. So when they moved to Kansas City and became the Chiefs, they needed some promotion. And it's not like they had Facebook and Twitter and could easily promote this football team. Len Dawson used the 6 o'clock and 10 o'clock news after practice to try to promote the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think that is really big in his role with what he's done. And of course, he's been the color commentator for a long time in Kansas City. So he's really had his hand 
all over this franchise, and he's done a lot for this franchise. So I've got three guys from the Super Bowl era. So I, I tried to branch this out, tried to have someone from the Super Bowl era, someone from the 90s and this, the, the 2000s. It was very hard to do. You you can't exclude Len Dawson and Hank Stram, in my opinion. I, as my fourth guy, I had Marty Schottenheimer, and here's why. When the Chiefs were bad in the 70s and the 80s, there was just no interest in this football team. There really wasn't. And when Carl Peterson became the general manager, he brought in Marty Schottenheimer. And Marty Schottenheimer just completely changed how people viewed football in Kansas City. It was no longer just a a team in Kansas City. This was the show everyone wanted to see. And it started the long trend, a long time trend of sellouts at Arrowhead Stadium. Everyone's heard the the word the phrase Marty Ball. Of course, that's the title of his own book, his autobiography, and everything he did to turn this franchise around. And I think he deserves to be the fourth guy on this list. Other acceptable answers: Bobby Bell, phenomenal career, and a guy who has been labeled as, as someone who can play all twenty-two positions. Willie Lanier, phenomenal linebacker. Buck Buchanan, I mentioned. Uh, Derek Thomas. Uh, maybe, you know, I could have traded uh, Marty Schottenheimer out and put Derek Thomas in. Certainly reasonable. Marcus Allen. He didn't necessarily change the position, but what he did in coming to Kansas City and really just helping out this offense get close to a Super Bowl. And not only that, he went into the Pro Football Hall of Fame as a Chief instead of a Raider, which shocked a lot of people. Will Shields, arguably one of the best offensive linemen ever, maybe the best guard ever to play this football game. Priest Holmes definitely changed that running back position. He's done things that not many people have done before. And in fact, uh, I'll tell you the source later on this. Because I want to save that topic for a moment. Priest Holmes is the... uh, nobody. He has the record for most uh, two touchdown games in a single season. I did not know this until I came across a certain... Uh, a certain show out there that mentioned this, and I'll, I'll share that later. Tony Gonzalez goes without saying, broke a lot of records. His records are now being broken, but he really set the bar high for tight ends. Derek Johnson, um, I don't know if he changed. I mean, compared to other linebackers here, it's hard to put Derek Johnson as one of the four uh, for your Chiefs Mount Rushmore because Bobby Bell is better. Willie Lanier is better. Derek Thomas is better. Derek Johnson, I'll, I'll say this, if he could have played great in the first four or five years where he was quiet, I think he definitely could be a, a strong consideration for this, but I think his name is worth discussing and having as a debate. Maybe Joe Montana, if he led the Chiefs to a Super Bowl. He was briefly with the team, um, but if he led the Chiefs to a Super Bowl, not necessarily win, but if he just led the team to a Super Bowl, I think that would have been enough to give him a spot on the Mount Rushmore list. Here are two big ones. Actually, I'll put three. Andy Reid. For the same reasons as Marty Schottenheimer. After Dick Vermeil, this football team went downhill. With Herm Edwards, Todd Haley, Romeo Cornell. There were some bad seasons in Kansas City. And then when Andy Reid came, this football team turned around. Carl Peterson... I could have easily put Carl Peterson instead of Marty Schottenheimer because Carl brought in guys like Marty and Dick Vermeil and brought some of the 
best years of football we have seen in a long time in Kansas City. Now, I, I say that loosely because, you know, I was not born uh, before the 90s. I was born in 91. Uh, but for those of you who have been longtime fans, you know what I'm talking about with the Chiefs being so bad in the 80s. And it felt like forever since there was a, a, a good product on the field. And Carl Peterson was the general manager when the Chiefs had all these sellouts and had so many great players under Schottenheimer and Vermeil. And here's another guy on that list. Maybe Dick Vermeil uh, is worthy of uh, being mentioned on this list because of what he was able to do with this offense and having some of the best offensive seasons in NFL history. And, and you look at what Atlanta did in 2016, having one of the best offensive scoring outputs ever, but they couldn't really follow up with that as well in 2017. The Chiefs were able to have that strong lit, that that strong offense for a couple of years in Kansas City. Here are guys who just missed. Actually, I take that back. I do want to put one other guy, and that's Dante Hall, because he changed the game of football. Before there was Devin Hester, and Devin Hester, I take nothing away from him, but there were some things Devin Hester didn't do that Dante Hall did. Dante Hall had what was it, seven touchdowns in a 10-game span in late 2002 and early 03. He also had four consecutive games where he had a touchdown on special teams. And just the, the way he played on special teams, we have never seen before. And I think that gave Devin Hester kind of a blueprint as to how he could play on special teams. And of course, current special teams coordinator, Dave Tobe, I'm sure he learned a lot of things from just watching Dante Hall and how he applied it when trying to coach up Devin Hester. So I think Dante Hall is worth consideration as well. Now, here are the guys who just missed the list. Otis Taylor, Dwayne Bowe, in my mind. Uh, Yes, they had great receiving seasons, and I know Otis Taylor was on the Super Bowl team, but these guys didn't necessarily have long tenured careers. In other words, they, they didn't really refine or change that wide receiver position so much. Yes, they are the two best wide receivers in Chiefs history, statistically speaking, but certainly not uh, anything to the point where they um, they were dominant for a long time, where they changed the game in a certain way. Mike Garrett, sure, great running back, uh, and of course was part of the Super Bowl team, but again, didn't change the, the position in any way. Same with Trent Green, had a couple of great years in Kansas City, uh, but wasn't anything unique compared to other quarterbacks out there. This is kind of interesting to me, and I excluded these guys. Uh, Willie Rofe, Brian Waters, Casey Wegman. These are some great offensive linemen. Don't get me wrong, but I, I think in just in, in just terms of how much room there is, there, you only have room for four guys. So it's really hard to make a case for an offensive lineman, especially when Will Shields... If we're comparing who was a better lineman, easy answer is Will Shields. So, if we had to put an offensive lineman on the four uh, up there, you would have to pick Will Shields before you pick Willie Ruff, in my opinion. Don't get me wrong, they're great offensive linemen, you just can't put everyone up there. Another great offensive lineman, Ed Buddy, who we've had on the show before, uh, great friend of of the podcast, but uh, and I'll say this: sure, he was a difference maker. Uh, where he was the first ever offensive lineman to win AP Offensive Player of the Week honors, but at the same time, 
he didn't necessarily change the game of football down the road. He did some good things, but uh, at the end of the day, his career wasn't as dominant as some of the others. Like I said, Will Shields certainly ahead of, of some of the other linemen on this list, and I think that's why I put him on the just missed the list part. Possible future candidates, Kareem Hunt, Travis Kelsey, depending how these guys do the rest of their careers, they certainly could be known as some of the best at their position. They're, they're both off to great starts in their young careers. Uh, so we'll see how they do later on. Justin Houston came very close to breaking the single-season sack record, and if he can stay healthy and be consistent, he certainly could be one... He might be up there next to Derek Thomas as one of the best ever. Eric Berry, this guy's a phenomenal safety, and I think if he retired right now, I would be very close to putting him on that Mount Rushmore list because... The way he plays the position and how he takes over a football game, you just don't see that a lot with safeties. You really, really don't. And unfortunately, he's had seasons that have been derailed with injuries. Uh, 2011 missed all of the season after an uh, an injury early in the Week 1 game. Same thing in uh, 2017 where he suffered an injury late in that Patriots game. And then in 2014, had a couple of injuries and had to step away from the field because of cancer. And how he just came back from that. And how much better he has gotten since then. And I think that's a really defining moment for him. Uh, Marcus Peters. uh, Briefly on the team, of course. But I think if he continues to play the way he has, this guy could break the record for most interceptions in a single, in a career. Very early, but we'll see. And of course, the last one on my list, Patrick Mahomes, a possible future candidate. Uh, Expectations are very high for him, so we'll see how he does in the future in Kansas City. Now, I do want to get into this. I mentioned the Priest-Holmes stat for um, most two touchdown games in a single season. That came from this show called Football Fanatic. Now, I talked about Raw 25, WWE Raw 25 in our Out of Bounds segment. Earlier this uh, this offseason. Uh, so if any of you guys watch WWE Raw. You know that it doesn't always end at 11.05 Eastern or 10.05 Central. Uh, when it's supposed to. As it shows on your TV guide. They always go over. And I was checking the TV guide. And I saw a show called Football Fanatic. And it was a Chiefs episode. Football Fanatic is a show by uh, hosted by Darren. And it's also produced by him. Uh, Darren McMullen, who is a British-born Australian TV show host. He's now in Los Angeles. He is a uh, music journalist and a music cr- critic. He's known for being on shows like The Voice, a kid's version of The Voice, Minute to Win It, a few other shows, just to name a few. He has a show called Football Fanatic, where I'm assuming it's 32 different episodes, where he goes to check out uh, the city of an NFL team, experiences the culture, the city, the the traditions that the the team might have, and then he goes and attends a home game and sees what it's like, and at the end of all of this, he tries to pick his one NFL team to become his favorite team. I don't know how much of this is really for theatrics or attention, um, but it's still very intriguing nonetheless, the way he's put this together, because I, I don't know at the end of this how he's going to, if he's really truly going to become a team of the team he picks. Now, I have not seen the finale for this, um, but this episode was unique 
because he went on the field at Arrowhead a couple days before the Monday night game against Denver. He hung out with Chris Jones. He went to the barbershop where Travis Kelsey, Charkandrick West, and Pat Mahomes go to and talk to them for a little bit, just kind of getting a feel what it's like to be a Chiefs player. Hung out with some fans the night before a game, tailgated with them. You, everyone knows tailgating in KC is very different and unique. Uh, and then he also uh, hung out with former Chiefs players, Sean Barber, Deron Cherry, and Bill Moss. And they took him to they took him to uh, Oklahoma Joe's, which is now Joe's KC. Then they went to Arthur Bryant's. And they showed uh, pictures of uh, past presidents, U.S. presidents, who have been to Arthur Bryan's. And then I cannot remember the third barbecue joint they went to. I want to say Jack Stacks. Can't remember. But they basically had Darren try out all these things in Kansas City. And just basically get to know the city and everything it has to offer. And and what Chiefs fans are all about. And then I watched. And because the DVR of the WWE Raw was on delay and everything. I had to record the next episode of Football Fanatic. Which were back to back. Just so I can catch all of the Chiefs episode. And it also caught some of the Rams episode. And it basically shows him hanging out with the team. Hanging out with the strength uh, and conditioning coach. One of the best. and That's known to be one of the best in the game. And basically how he was doing some of their drills. And trying to get used to that. Now the entire episode did not record. So I didn't get to see all of his experience in Los Angeles. When he tried to check out the Rams. Uh, but I think it's very interesting. It's uh, according to Darren uh, Darren's Twitter account. It's on Monday nights after WWE Raw, so I'm definitely going to try to set my DVR for that and check out some of the other episodes because it definitely seems like a very intriguing show. I did not check it to see if it's out there online, but I definitely suggest it. It's called Football Fanatic, and if you can catch the Chiefs episode somewhere online, watch it. It's pretty cool. I think as a Chiefs fan, you'll love it and you'll take a lot of pride in everything. That has to offer in explaining what it's like to be a Kansas City Chiefs fan. So definitely check it out. I suggest it. Football fanatic. I've tried to get Darren on the show a couple of times. I reached out to him personally on social media. And then I tried to reach out to his agency. Uh, Haven't heard back from them. But would definitely love to talk to him about that. And try to to hear from him. And uh, see if he can talk to us a little bit more about his experience in Kansas City and when the finale will all of this be. Because I'll be intrigued to know who he picks. And and I would like to catch some of the other episodes that he's done for the USA Network. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Oh man, here we go with John Dorsey. According to The Ringer, then again, I mentioned earlier, there are always rumors about teams trading up and trading down and teams, uh, media outlets, probably just looking for clicks here uh, because that's easy to do with uh, draft rumors. But for what it's worth, The Ringer is reporting that the Browns could invest in two quarterbacks, quote, high in the draft meaning that they will spend their first and their fourth overall picks on quarterbacks. At least that's what some fans, I guess, could expect. Here we go. Uh, John Dorsey, be smart. Just be smart. If Cleveland, of all places, is your is where you're getting your second chance, you better do your best. Do not screw this up. Listen, I, I know losing sucks, but if anything... The Browns can do something about this and build a strong franchise. 
get a lot of great young, bright-eyed players and get them to work together. I mean, get rid of that consistent consistency of losing. They didn't even win a game last year. And now you want to have two quarterbacks who you pay. And guys are going to be in the top five, so they'll be, they'll be making some money. You want to do that? I don't know, man. I mean, if he does that, I feel like that's a fireable offense. Less than a year into his job. Does he want to prove why the Chiefs fired him? I don't I don't know. I, I feel like that's what he's trying to prove here. Uh, if, if, if this ends up being true, I hope not. Something that I hope is true, Kurt Warner is in strong consideration to replace John Gruden on the Monday Night Football broadcast. Now, of course, John Gruden, now the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. And I think Kurt Warner would be, would be a great option. Peyton Manning has reportedly turned down the offer and has turned down a lot of other broadcasting offers. But Kurt Warner, I think, has done a good job of analyzing them. Of course, had a phenomenal career playing in the Arena League and then playing in the NFL. And he can talk a lot about those kinds of transitions as well, not just from college to pro, but also from playing one uh, in one football league to another and really what that's like for a quarterback and how they uh, how they play the game and, and the type of reads they make. Uh, that's the job of these color analysts, to be able to get us into the minds of these players and why they do certain things. And I think Kurt Warner, with the experience that he's had in the NFL and the job he's done as a broadcaster for NFL Network, I think he would be a great fit for this, for this job with ESPN. I mentioned earlier, Colin Kaepernick, he was apparently set to meet with the Seahawks. I don't think that meeting ended up ever happening. Uh, but apparently the Seahawks lost interest when Kaepernick had to confirm that he would indeed kneel once again during the national anthem. Now listen, here's my thing. And I can't remember the name of the Seahawks player um, who, who, who need The Seahawks have, have a player who need last year. Uh, I'm trying to pull up his name right now as I, as I speak about this, about this. Listen, here's what I think. I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast. I don't think NFL teams care that he's kneeling necessarily if he's doing this for a for certain, certain cause. Because this is, this is a pretty big deal. Oh, by the way, it actually shows uh, from Q13, uh, I guess the Fox affiliate in Seattle, seven Seahawks players sat or kneeled for the anthem before Sunday's game against Philadelphia in early December. So the Seahawks have had players, I know there was one player specific who was protesting, but um, but several, uh, there was one notable player who did that, but several of them have done it. And Colin Kaepernick's been doing it. So listen, I don't think the Seahawks... They, they're not going to do anything about it necessarily because they know they already have players who are doing it. However, if Kaepernick's doing it, it's different. And I'll tell you why. It's simply because of the media attention. Even if he doesn't kneel, I think maybe the Seahawks would have signed him. But still, if he doesn't kneel, there's some sort of of a storyline there. And it's just going to catch a lot of attention from the media and it's going to be a distraction that Seahawk, the Seahawks don't want. Look at Tim Tebow. All he did was just talk about his religion a lot and his relationship with Jesus Christ. And he went out there and had some, some crazy moments in football games. And what happened? It just turned into a media circus. 
He was being interviewed by the media when he was at, right after he was signed by the Patriots, and he made it short and sweet. Didn't want to talk to them much. And I, I, some people are saying part of the reason why Tim Tebow is not signed is because of the media circus that comes with it. So I hate to say this because, sure, pro athletes, they're, they're humans just like us. Uh, they go through normal life just like us in their, in their personal lives. But at the same time, one could make the case, yeah, well, they get paid millions of dollars to not allow these distractions to happen to them. Well, at the end of the day, I don't know if the distraction that Kaepernick brings with this media circus, I don't know if that can be enough to block out the distraction that Kaepernick just brings along. And I, I'm not blaming Kaepernick for any of this. We can disagree on the protesting all we want. That's not what this topic's about. What I'm trying to get at here is the reason the Seahawks nor other teams are signing Kaepernick, it's because of the the tension that comes with it. It's the attention that the teams don't want. I think that's the problem with it. I truly do believe there are teams out there. The Seahawks, the Seahawks were rumored before in getting Kaepernick. Let's not forget about this, but it just, for whatever reason, they went and signed two other QBs. The headlines read Seahawks signed another quarterback, not named Kaepernick. Like, we, we, we don't know the names of these quarterbacks, I mean, unless you read the articles, but the headlines just basically, they're trying to tell you Kaepernick continues to get the cold shoulder, and that's because of what the, the, the media circus is going to be about. Let's keep that in mind, folks. If you're if you're a strong supporter of Kaepernick, and you're upset that he's not on an NFL team, and you think he should be, you have the right to feel that way. People also have the right to feel like he shouldn't be on an NFL team. Again, that's not what this topic's about. But I think we all have to, again, regardless of your stance on this, I think we have to agree to the fact that the attention he brings is going to cause a distraction. Is that is that too crazy to say? I don't know. Let me know your guys' thoughts on that. Let's go out of bounds. Allie LaForce is an NBA uh, reporter and uh, does the sideline interviews for TNT. And shortly after uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers won earlier this week, LeBron James did an interview with Allie LaForce. And Allie LaForce did, uh, first of all, we didn't know about this until after the fact, but Allie LaForce asked LeBron James about Greg Popovich's wife. Aaron Popovich, who passed away earlier this week. Popovich uh, did not coach a game for the San Antonio Spurs this week. And a lot of people criticized Ali LaForce because LeBron was getting a little teary-eyed and he got emotional when he was asked about it. What people don't know, and LeBron James put this out there on social media, he actually said Ali LaForce asked him prior to going live if she could ask LeBron the question, and LeBron said yes. So Allie LaForce got consent to do this. And I think people need to back off of her a little bit. And LeBron has even said for everyone to get off her case uh, because she asked. And the, the reason LeBron got emotional about it is simply was because of the moment when he was talking about it. He gave her the uh, the, the right, the, the, the uh, permission to to talk about that. When And she asked. Which I've got to give credit to Ali LaForce for doing that. I don't know if a lot of people would have done that necessarily. 
Because the thing is, LeBron James didn't know about it because he was playing in the game. He's obviously not on social media during the game, uh, nor should he be. And uh, he, he learned about this when Ali LaForce told her. So, listen, I give props to Ali LaForce. She's taken a lot of heat for no apparent, no good reason. Uh, it's not like she did anything out of line. It came out that she, again, it came from the horse's mouth, came from LeBron, that she asked permission uh, to LeBron if she can do this. And if LeBron said yes, I say everyone else, get the hell over it. Another guy who needs to get over something, Jalen Hurts. His father told Bleacher Report that Hurts will consider leaving Alabama if he doesn't win the starting quarterback job. Now, of course, you guys remember what happened in the national championship game. And I have no idea how to say his name, but I'll, I'll try anyway. Tua Tagoviola. Viloa. Anyway, you guys know who I'm talking about if you saw the national title game. Jalen Hurts comes out of the game. Tua goes in, and he just completely changes the dynamic of that football game, and Alabama goes on to win a national championship. A lot of people felt bad for Jalen Hurts. I didn't. You're getting a free ride to play college football at a very competitive place in the SEC at Alabama, and if you can't live up to the hype, if you're not doing well in a championship game, They've got to pull you out, and obviously Alabama did the right thing, so I don't feel bad about Jalen Hurts at all. I'm sure he's a good guy and all, but look, get over it, man. If you couldn't finish the job in the national title game, and if you can't win the starting job, okay, sure, transfer out, I guess. You can can do that, but uh, don't make a big fuss about it because at the end of the day, we are in a world where, you know, uh, provided that there's no nepotism, we're in a world where people are very competitive for jobs. And, you know, I, I think football is a great example. If, if someone can come in and do do a better job when a player gets hurt or uh, if it's not doing well and gets pulled, well, then there's a possibility that they may never play again or at least be named as a starting quarterback uh, as long as the other guy is healthy. So it, it's the same case. You know, if you're at an office job, if there's one guy who's doing a better job at certain tasks than you are, well, then you have reasons to con- to be concerned, but don't make a fuss about it if you're not doing the better job and the other guy is. You know, put forth the effort and do the better job. Uh, I don't feel bad about Jalen Hurts at all uh, from, uh, from losing his job in that national title game and possibly losing it for the 2018 season. Final topic I wanted to talk about in this segment, Lance Armstrong. He has to pay only $5 million from a $100 million settlement of a government lawsuit. Yes, I know. I said the words only $5 million, but come on. Uh, I, I think we've got to give Lance Armstrong some credit here. This is a 90, he saved 95% from this lawsuit. He really did. Now, of course, we all know the USPS was a big sponsor of Lance Armstrong's when he was competing in the Tour de France. And listen, all he did was cheat. But the USPS and being a, being a you know, the government there, they took strong issue with that. And, and here's the thing. The way he did it and the backstory he had and the support he had just disappointed and angered so many people. And the people who he told to keep it a secret from um, just crazy. Look at Livestrong Sporting Park here in Kansas City. Well, it was called Livestrong Sporting Cart. Armstrong, of course, the founder of Livestrong. Everyone knows about the bracelets, how big of a deal that was and at uh, Sporting KC Stadium when it was called Livestrong. 
the word live strong was in yellow and it was of course uh, a reminder to everyone about the bracelets at the time i want to say that was 2004 2005 when that was a big thing and now I mean, no one even wants to be associated with that. No one even wants to wear those bracelets. A lot of people have, like Adidas and Nike, Under Armour have made their own kind of bracelets. It says baller on them or, or player, whatever. Uh, but they all got that idea from Love Strong. But with everything he's dealing with, I, I don't feel bad for the guy one bit. Um, a lot of people have some strong opinions about him. I don't think he's a, I don't think he's a terrible human being necessarily. I just think he's a guy who made a very horrible choice and he was trying very hard to cover this all up and the backstory he got from all of this, he benefited from it quite a bit. Uh, And that's why I don't feel bad if he had to pay the $100 million. Uh, I listened to him when he was on Joe Rogan's podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, which speaking of the Joe Rogan podcast, I think the timing of this might be just as long as one of his podcasts, but... Uh, Lance Armstrong opened up about a lot of things on there. If you have the time, check it out. Uh, Rogan does an amazing job with that podcast and the guests he brings on, the topics they discuss. And the Lance Armstrong one is one of the more, it's actually one of the more shorter podcasts and one of the more compelling ones he does. And I think everyone needs to listen to that just to get Lance's side of things. Uh, because Rogan always asks better questions than, than a journalist. He really does. And I think in that environment where it's just one-on-one, People are probably willing to share more information, especially a guy like Lance Armstrong, who's in a pickle. But, hey, uh, managed to cut it down by 95%. Can't go wrong there. Got to give props to him for being able to do that. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. All right, by now I'm sure you all know about what happened with Des Bryant and the fallout with him and the Dallas Cowboys and just the crazy turn of events that, that took place there. Brandon Marshall of the Giants, he tweeted at Des Bryant. Or I don't know if he tagged him necessarily, but he was cut the day after telling Des Bryant there isn't room for him on the Giants. I've got to say, and Brandon Marshall's taking a lot of heat for that. Um, by the way, I guess we can throw another flag right now. And the reason I'm doing that is because uh, I mentioned Brandon Marshall's taking a lot of heat. He's getting a lot of hate tweets from people about uh, what he said to Dez. And basically people are telling him, hey, karma's a you-know-what. But there are a lot of people out there tweeting the wrong Brandon Marshall. There's a Brandon Marshall who plays linebacker for the Broncos, and he's getting hate tweets when he doesn't even... I'm sure it took him a moment wondering why is he getting hate tweets suddenly. But people uh, people are tweeting the wrong Brandon Marshall. So if you're going to go attack Brandon Marshall for basically being an idiot and having it hot uh, back to him, Make sure you're tweeting the correct one and not the linebacker for the Denver Broncos. Don't get me wrong. I mean, sure, let's 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 intimidate Broncos players, but uh, for for the right reasons at least. Well, let's make sure we're doing that. Listen, Brandon Marshall deserved this. He really did. You go out there and you mock somebody who's not on an NFL roster for what? What do you gain out of that? What was the purpose in that? You really think? I mean, that was a clever thing to do, huh? Well, cost you big time, buddy. 
Aaron Rodgers is reportedly upset. He tried to come out with a social media post saying he wasn't, but trying to basically call out fake news. But I would believe this. He was upset uh, that he was not involved in the front office's decision in uh, parting ways with Jordy Nelson, the wide receiver, former Wildcat, Kansas State Wildcat, and formerly with the Packers, now with the Raiders. Sorry, no player should ever be allowed that power to be involved with the front office and having a say in a player's future with the team. Not even LeBron James, not even Tom Brady. I don't think those players deserve that kind of power. I don't care who they are or how dominant they are. They are players for a reason. If you want to be part of a team where you are involved in those kinds of discussions, okay, go... Create your own team, be the player, and also be the general manager. Otherwise, that game is called Madden on EA Sports, on your PlayStation and on your Xbox. Look, I don't know who Aaron Rodgers thinks he is, thinking he should be involved in some of these discussions. He absolutely should. By the way, there was an NFL scout who anonymously commented saying Josh Rosen is a quote-unquote D-bag. I think I can say the word on here, but I won't. Uh, I heard it on Survivor last week, so if you can say it on CBS, I think you can say it on a podcast, on a clean podcast. But anyway, that uh, same scout said, yeah, sure, Josh Rosen might be one, but so is Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, look, Aaron Rodgers, he, he, there are a lot of personal things that have come about him in the media. And just the negative portrayed just the negative display that he gets he honestly deserves it he really does um some of those things are personal and i won't get into that i've I've mentioned on the podcast i don't do that kind of thing but just the way he comes off uh to the media to the world really uh can't say i disagree with that scout's feelings on him final one here bryce harper of the nationals wrote a tweet. He uh, quoted the Las Vegas Golden Knights uh, as they were getting ready for game one of their um, uh, of their matchup against the LA Kings, in which they picked up a sweep. We can, by the way, say that the Vegas Golden Knights have never lost a playoff game before. That's technically true. But anyway, uh, Bryce Harper, uh, he took a tweet that the Vegas Golden Knights had of the video of the pregame ceremonies. He uh, tweet quoted it. And wrote, quote, best fans and uh, best atmosphere in sports. Oh, boy. He says that when he's, you know, he's he's playing for the Nationals. And I'm sure Nationals fans didn't take kindly to that. Let me just say this. I understand Bryce Harper is from Las Vegas. So that's why he made that comment. Are they the best... uh, I don't know. Listen, you want to say best fans? They've only been around for less than a year. Um, Let's let let it build up for a bit. Because it's easy to join on a team when they're succeeding in their first year, like the way the Golden Knights have. But here's the other thing. You want to say best atmosphere in sports? Okay, let's slow down. I think Vegas is a phenomenal place for sports. I'm glad they're doing it more with the Raiders soon going there. But 
Well, let's, I don't think it's the best atmosphere by a long shot. I, I mean, there are a lot of places. I'm sure Vegas is going to climb up real quickly, especially if they can have the success with the Golden Knights and if the Raiders can have some success in Las Vegas. Uh, but I don't know if I would go that far. And I think he didn't do himself a good service by doing that when a lot of Nationals fans, people in D.C., are following him. I think that was a wrong move for him to make. Not a wise one. By the way, while we're on the topic of Golden Knights, and listen, we all know the truth here, there are a lot of bandwagon fans that, that follow the team. I've always been supportive of the team. I actually purchased a couple of Golden Knights merchandise uh, before the season got underway because I mentioned on the podcast before, I, I, I go to Vegas a few times a year. I love the city, and I, I love the fact that there are sports there. If I was not a Chiefs fan, I probably would be fully supportive of the Raiders there. I just hope the Raiders are competitive while they're there, but just not too competitive uh, against the Chiefs. That's just my hope. But anyway, uh, there was a fan. This this post actually went viral. The comment, I should say. There was a fan who commented on the Vegas Golden Knights Facebook page and said, congrats on a successful regular season. I love you guys. I have been a fan for years. For those who don't follow hockey and don't understand what the joke is there, the Vegas Golden Knights have only been around for one season. This is their this is their inaugural season. And now we have a bandwagon fan claiming they've been a fan for years. Bandwagon fans, they're funny, man. They really are. I mean, you basically got caught right there, essentially. That's what you did. But hey, uh, I mean, what are you going to do? Some fans are like that. I'm I'm starting to wonder if there's a Chiefs fan that like if the Chiefs start, you know, thirteen and zero, and someone says, "Oh, I love Pat Mahomes. He's done a great job over the years with the Chiefs." I mean, I can just see someone making that kind of comment if Pat Mahomes just happens to have that kind of a spectacular season. I can just see it happening. But anyway, um, if you're gonna at least be a bandwagon fan, try to hide it. Uh, either hide it or just fully embrace it and don't give a damn when people criticize you for it. All right, a couple of minutes left. I'm going to see if I can stall just to make this a, a two-hour podcast. We've never had a podcast go this long before, so this is definitely going to be the longest podcast uh, we have ever done in the history of the Chiefs Home Podcast. So uh, a lot of you guys have actually – I've actually been trying to make them shorter – a lot of you guys actually say you you like it longer and you guys don't mind. So, hey, you're getting your uh, your wish here. I always try to keep them short and sweet to the point. We had a lot of topics to discuss on this episode, of course. Uh, so uh, for those who, a lot, a lot of you guys saying you like the longer podcast, you enjoy those better. Well, then here you are uh, definitely getting a longer podcast. So uh, there you have it. The longest podcast in the history of the Chief Zone podcast. More than two hours. That's impressive. I was able to do that for two hours. Appreciate you guys listening to this long episode of the Chiefs Home Podcast. Let me know your guys' thoughts on anything we discuss on this long podcast. Facebook.com slash Farzinevesugian. Twitter.com slash Farzine21. You can email me, Farzine, at Farzinevesugian.com. Just a reminder for next week, basically the upcoming schedule. Monday, we will have an episode previewing the NFL Draft. That'll be the final episode of the Chiefs Home Podcast before the draft. Provided that the Chiefs don't do anything crazy, we won't do a podcast Friday morning 
recapping whatever the Chiefs did in the first round. Chiefs are not expected to draft in that first round, so let's say, let's say trade up. No podcast, don't expect one Friday like we did last year. And then the Sunday after the draft, shortly after the draft, we'll do a podcast recapping Kansas City's draft. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about all of the players, what you need to know about all of them selected. And then we will do another episode that Thursday, basically a week after, uh, basically almost 13 days from now, if you want to put it that way. Uh, We will have two episodes the week after the draft. So a lot of episodes coming your way of the Chief Zone podcast. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this long episode and then we'll have a few more uh, shortly after that. And then uh, we'll continue to talk in the offseason about Kansas City uh, and really just what can we expect from this team in the month of May. And then towards the end, I'll uh, definitely need a break. I'll be on a vacation. actually going to be getting surgery and we will uh, take a little bit of a break from this podcast. I think we all need that, uh, especially in, in late May, early June when there isn't going to be much going on anyway. So we'll be able to enjoy a little bit of a break there from Talking Chiefs football. Again, big thanks to all of you guys for downloading and listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Spread the word. Let your friends know about it. I'll talk to you guys on Monday as we preview the NFL Draft. Enjoy your weekend. Take care.